0: Welcome back, you guys. Today's episode is like, it's like right up my alley. And I feel like, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, then like you and I, like we're mono. like we like a lot of the same stuff. Anyway, so I have Dr. Nate Zinser on today. You guys, he is a director of West Point's performance psychology program, and he is a sports psychologist who has worked with some of the greatest athletes of all Time. We're talking about Super Bowl MVPs, NHL All-Stars. We're talking about, you know, just like the collegiate athletes all the way up to Olympians. Like we're talking about the best of the best at West Point and of athletes. And like, you know that I like just geek out on this stuff. Like I love it so much. And so, you know, we're going to talk about what the number one thing he thinks uh, is the most important trait necessary for peak performance. We're going to talk about you know, how to just show up in your life as, you know, a more confident being just to show up in your life as like, you know, a higher version of yourself, which is something that we talk about a lot. But, you know, this guy is like the best of the best in, in this realm. I mean, he literally created the, you know, athlete psychology program at West Point that has now been used over 17, for, you know, 17,000 different individuals have gone through this training program that he created. Um, it's used in 25 posts across the country, also in Korea. Um, he's led keynote speeches for you know companies like Facebook and Google. And he's just, the guy is a big deal. <laughs> Let's just put it at that. And I was just like so, so, so freaking excited to have him on and have this conversation. So welcome back to The Very Best Self Podcast. I am your host, Victoria Brown. And this is the interview with Dr. Nate Zinser. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Today's guest, I am beyond excited to have on because I, you guys, those of you who listen to this podcast all the time, you know that I'd like totally, totally nerd out on like sports psychology and just like the psychology behind the way that athletes think. And, um, today I have like the ultimate, I feel like guy on. And so Dr. Nate Zinser, thank you so much for being on today. And I'm going to share about your bio and all of that, but thank you so much for being on.
1: Oh Victoria thanks for, so much for having me on i'm as, I'm as excited as you are
0: <laughs> good I'm so glad to hear that so dr Nate uh, you are a very very impressive guy um, so you currently um, are teaching cadets at West Point uh, mental peak mental health performance um, beyond that you've worked with athletes in the on the biggest world stages. We're talking about, you know, Super Bowl MVP, uh, Olympic medalists, professional ballerinas, NHL all-stars, collegiate athletes. It sounds like every end of the spectrum. Anyone out there in the world who's looking to reach peak performance in their sport, it's like you are the guy to work with.
1: (laughs) Well, well, thank you. I'm uh, delighted to be here and I'm uh, always excited to share what is known out there That can help a lot of people. Um, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't invent a lot of this stuff. It's been around. It's just great to see how many people are picking up on it and putting it to use these days.
0: Yes, I love that. So I have a copy of your book here, The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. And so we're definitely going to talk a lot about what's on these pages here. Um, But you claim that the single most important trait— for peak performance is confidence. Plain and simple, how can we get better at believing in ourselves?
1: It all comes down to how you think about yourself minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. It all comes down to which memories you choose to hang on to, which statements and stories you tell yourself about yourself in the present moment, and about all those pictures that you create in that wonderful photo and video studio we call our imagination. you got to be careful about all that stuff. And if you're careful about that stuff, you can become a very confident individual. Wow.
0: I mean, that's the honest truth, too, because, you know, they, a lot of people think that using your imagination is just something that children do. Adults do that every day day we do it all the time we're constantly imagining and using our imagination and you know i call it future tripping uh that's a term that a friend shared with me and so it's like if you're going to think like trip into the future and think about what could happen or might happen you might as well go to a place that's positive you might as well go to a place that lifts you up and you know that feels really good but so many of us it's like we are somehow like like programmed or wired somehow to go to this really really negative place. And do you have is there a reason why people typically go there instead of to the positive and why we have to train ourselves specifically to go to this positive place and why that's just not where we're hardwired to go automatically?
1: Yeah, I get that question a lot. How come there is the sort of negativity bias to a lot of our thinking? Um not just our future-oriented thinking, but our present-oriented thinking as well. Um, But, you know, the reference you make, Victoria, about our, you know, future tripping, or I just use the word time travel, you know, so much of it can take a very negative spin. And I think the reason for that is because we have not been physically comfortable human beings on this planet for a very long time the vast, 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 vast majority of our existence as a species on this planet um, were in rather primitive conditions where we had to be constantly on the lookout for various dangers, the wrong kind of water, the wrong kind of traffic, the wrong kind of food, the wrong kind of weather conditions. Uh, So there's there's a certain degree that Pessimism and worry about the future is hardwired into us. Mm. Um, I will say, conversely, that we are also hardwired for optimism. We've got both of these circuits or both of these control centers, both of these systems active in our biological wiring. We survived as a species without fangs, without claws. Without the ability to run as fast as most other animals, we can't, can't fly. We survived because of our ability to do things collectively, as a as a group, and we survived because we were able to maintain a sense of yeah, we can do this. A little that a little intrinsic biological optimism we have that, as well as an intrinsic biological sense of concern and worry about our futures. And we have to, I think, honor both of those processes, but we got to make sure how we honor it and which ones we're using at the right time. If you don't honor your negativity bias, you could walk out in the middle of a highway and end up as pizza. Um, If you don't honor your optimism bias, well, you're going to stay stuck. Um, And who needs that? So let's... Let's be good human beings and use all of what we've got.
0: Let's be good human beings and use all of what we got. Exactly. Confidence is—is is, what's the difference between being confident and being cocky? And then my follow-up to that is: Do you believe in the term "fake it till you make it," or is that
1: just something people say? Okay. Um, let's go to your first question or query. Um, Confidence is an internal state about yourself. It's an internal conviction, an internal belief. It's how you think on the inside. Cockiness tends to be something that you show off on the outside. I don't mind if an athlete or an executive or a musician or a surgeon is really so sure of him or herself that he or she comes off as borderline cocky, borderline invincible. But the important thing is that they feel that way on the inside. And Mm. whether they talk about it or boast about it or broadcast it, well, that's something entirely different from confidence. We just have to make that decision. Confidence is on the inside. It's how you think. I always use the analogy of a bank account. All those thoughts, your confidence is the uh, combination or total of all these thoughts, just like the bank account is the total of all your money. Hopefully, you got some. Now, to get to your second question fake it till you make it. To a certain extent, that's a very valuable statement. You have to act as if you had all the skill, all the knowledge. Okay. Act with full conviction about yourself because we'll only find out what you really do have when you do precisely that. If you operate in the world, whether we're talking sports or academic or business or whatever, if you operate in the world as if you don't have enough, well, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a somewhat watered down version of yourself. If you act as if you've got it all, Well, we might just find out what you actually do have. Uh, Oh, and by the way, if you put yourself up against quality competition, we'll find out exactly what you have um, relative to your competitors. Um, But there is nothing wrong with building yourself up and then feeling somewhat certain, somewhat appropriate to a test or a challenge. That's a much better way to operate than to go into said test or said challenge questioning yourself. Do I have enough? Did I study enough? Am I up to this? If that's the way you are, there will always be physical hesitation that matches your mental questioning. If instead you have mental certainty, that will contribute to decisiveness in operation. And it's always better to be decisive than to be hesitant.
0: Right. So this decisiveness, I mean, for me personally, right, when I I think what I try to do is I ask myself, okay, when I am operating at my absolute best, what are the things that I'm doing? And what are the things that I'm not doing? And that's how I typically try to spearhead becoming more productive in my life and feeling good about the things that I'm doing and confident about the direction I'm moving in. So, do you, would you agree that that's a way to, to do things? You know, for me, I know that if I get stuck on social media and I'm scrolling and then I look at somebody who is maybe three steps ahead of me and then I try to see, like, well, how are they doing everything that I want to do? And what are their steps? And, you know, maybe I could take a little bit of that and a little bit of this and sprinkle a little bit of this and like try to apply it to what I'm doing, then I get I get lost in the sauce. And I find that if I just stay off social media, for me, this is my personal, you know, situation, but if I stay off social media and I don't focus on what other podcasters are doing and I don't focus on what other soul cycle instructors are doing and I don't focus on, you know, all the things that I want to succeed at, what those other people are doing, and I really stay in my own lane. I find that works for me to build my confidence. So would you say for other people, it's really just kind of being more hyper aware of when you're operating at your best and when you're not operating at your best and then finding what actions you're doing during those two times and then knowing, you know, what
1: what serves you. Okay. Um, I think you're touching on a lot of different topics there. Uh, Victoria, I told
0: you I nerd out about this stuff, Doctor Nate. I can talk about it all day. So if I'm, I'm probably ping ponging because I'm just so excited.
1: With regards to social media and the larger question of comparing oneself to somebody else or somebody's else, I very much encourage people to limit that comparison project. The most important person you have to impress is yourself. And you got to be, as you put it, hyper aware of yourself and willing to look at yourself honestly. Are you doing the things that you know already move you towards success? Or are you not doing those things? I mean, most of us have a pretty good idea of what we need to do. I think there are certain times of the year, you know, at the end of an athletic season, at the end of an academic year, at the end of an evaluation cycle, Uh, in anyone's professional life, there's a good opportunity to reflect big time and ask yourself the big questions. All right. What have I learned? Where do I want to go now? What do I need to learn to get to where I want to go now? What are the things I need to do? How do I need to be thinking about myself? So I think there are times and places for that if you will, comparison, analysis. But most of the time, you got to be trusting what you have and working with that. Because again, we won't know how good you are until you bring out the best of what you got right now. So let's bring, do that. Bring out the
0: best of what you got right now. So... As mentioned before, you are working with and have worked with some of the greatest athletes of all time in many different <laughs> many different realms. Um, and you've created the psychology program, performance program at West Point. So what are common, you know, mental blocks that these people come up with? You know, what is like the biggest common underlying theme uh, between these great athletes and cadets that you see uh, and how do they overcome it?
1: Sure. Um, A very common theme is moving up to a new level of competition, the transition from high school to college, the transition from college to Olympic development level, the transition from, you know, division one college play to the professional ranks, um, in the sport of hockey, you play midgets and then you play high school and then you play juniors and then you play college and then you might get, you know, uh, a shot at a, at a, at a pro career. And at each, st- each of these steps, there can be the idea that, okay, I was good at this level, but I don't know if I'm good enough for that level. Um, and what's amazing is the number of people who come to my office and basically say, you know, I don't have any confidence in myself anymore. I used to have a lot of it at my previous level, but I just don't feel as good about myself. And I say, well, where do you think confidence comes from? And they say, well, it comes from having a lot of success. And then they get to tell me about all the successes they had at their previous level. Uh, And I have to point out to them, well, wait a minute, if confidence comes from success, and you had a heck of a lot of success, I guess you got to ask yourself, does confidence really come from success or does confidence come from how you think about your success? And so to get to your se- the second part of your question, you know, how do people overcome this sort of hesitation, this sort of, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond and now I'm in a much bigger pond and I don't feel as big. It always comes down to you taking an honest look at what you are doing well, what you have And emphasizing that to yourself rather than emphasizing, oh look at how big and fast and different some of these other folks are. I wonder if I measure up. No, you gotta you gotta remember that you're the same fish that you were in that other pond. They've just put you in a big pond now, and you got more room to swim around, and you got more great things to eat, and you got other big fish that you can pal around with. You know. What happens to a perfectly healthy fish when she's put in a brand new pond with more resources? Oh, she just gets bigger. That's the message I'm given to a lot of people in so many different contexts. That is the
0: truth. That is the whole truth. And we complicate it so much as human beings. We really, really do. And, you know, I guess like on a per, I, I can relate, I think, in a personal note, just because you know it was i was when i began my soul cycle career i was teaching out in los angeles and i was doing pretty well but i was still at that point there were a lot of people who came before me they were the bigger fish they were you know the big bright stars in in the soul cycle world and you know, I felt like the small fish in the big pond. And then I decided to leave there. I decided to go to Washington DC and teach SoulCycle there. And then immediately, because I took, you know, this big city mentality with me, I feel like I immediately became the biggest fish in the smallest pond. And it was like my confidence shot through the roof. And then now I'm on my third, you know, rotation here at SoulCycle and I'm in New York City. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like I've had to build a lot of personal mental toughness because when you start out in a brand new market and you're the new kid on the block, but you're not new. You know, it just I think it just you have to realize also it's just time under pressure. Like you have to it takes a little bit of time. And I think we don't grant ourselves the time that it takes either. Um, we want everything, especially the society that we live in where everything just comes so quickly and you know, you you order delivery and it's at your house in 45 minutes, you you know, everything is instant. Everything and anything you want is is delivered. And, and it's pretty quick. And so it's like, you know, when you got to start over again at the bottom and rebuild yourself. And I guess that's really just equivalent to what you were talking about is like me, you know, the next level that I was going, th- going to. It took some time, but I'm right back on top. Like I sell out, I'm selling out all of the classes now, but there was a time where I had like nobody in there. And so my confidence was shot and I did exactly what you said, which is remembered everything I've accomplished in the past and used that as the fuel to say, okay, Like, this is a proven method. You've done it before. You can do it again. And I like what you said, too, about, well, there's bigger fish to pal around with, and you can grow and be even bigger.
1: Indeed. Um, You know, a story along this line, I I remember working with an NHL hockey goalie who started off the season as the number two person on his team. The, The starter, the number one guy, had a sudden injury. And now the number two guy is thrust into the spotlight and he had to feel that he was appropriate enough to thrive in that spotlight. And he got himself to that point. And then there was a point later in the season where he knew he was going to travel with his team to play in one of the legendary arenas of professional hockey, you know, and he was, you know, as a kid who grew up loving hockey thinking about, you know, the Montreal Forum as this incredible theater of hockey, he was a little intimidated about being the starter in that particular uh, environment, in that particular setting. So he had to go through some of the same mental work to decide that he was enough to play in that arena And then the same thing happened when he was named the starter for the playoffs, which his team advanced to later in the season. Am I indeed up to this? Am I indeed enough? So at each of these various stages, even within a a single season, Mm -hmm. this fella succeeded at all of them. um, And it was the greatest greatest professional season of his career. Um, All because he was able to... Be honest about himself, about how good he was and what he could do. Place by place by place by place. Um, Anybody can do that if they're honest.
0: So I just think that there's there's so many people out in the world who... I don't know. It's not just athletes and cadets, but like any everyday human can benefit from having a sort of like, you know, life coach in their corner or, you know, a psychology person in their corner. Cause we all come across these things all of the time. So for anybody out there who's listening, who's like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, a big time athlete. I'm not at West Point, you know, these principles can apply to literally anyone. And so I think that's what's so awesome about your book, The Confident Mind, is because, you know, this can be, it's all packaged up right here and can be used for anyone. So I kind of want to go back to something that you talked about in your book, and you talked about it a little bit earlier, um, you know, building your mental fortress and the mental bank. Um, and can you just talk a little bit deeper about that? And this is kind of like how to protect your mental well-being.
1: Sure. Um, if, you, if you look at confidence as this ongoing total of how, the thoughts in, uh, about yourself, thoughts about your past, thoughts about yourself in the present, thoughts about your future, if, if you look at that as a metaphor for confidence, then you've got to be very careful about which memories you carry with you day by day, which memories of yesterday – are you bringing into that running total? What stories are you telling yourself about yourself today? The, the building of confidence is simply like building a, a bank account. You want to you save things. You want to put money away. You've got to look at the memories of yesterday. Where did you put in quality effort? What little tiny things did you succeed in? What aspects of your life do you think Does it seem like you're making some progress? And every time you reflect on that, and I encourage people to be somewhat formal in their reflection, you're adding deliberately a bunch of stuff to that mental bank account. And if you do it consistently, then the bank account tends to grow. If you entertain a lot of memories about the mistakes that you made, the problems that you're having, all the difficulties, then that sense of who you are, that ongoing uh, collection of thoughts tends to become less and less optimistic, less and less energetic, less and less enthusiastic. But it doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, you use the phrase everyday human being. Well, You don't have to think of yourself as an everyday human being. You get to think of yourself as an athlete, ladies and gentlemen. And that does not necessarily mean that you make your living running, jumping, throwing balls, hitting balls, doing anything that we tend to associate with the word athletic. A little language lesson here. The English word athlete comes from two Greek words, athlon meaning contest, ethlos meaning prize. An athlete by definition is one who contends for a prize. What prize are you contending for? Uh, Financial security for your family, good uh, customer service, um, bringing a new product to market. What is the prize that you are contending for? We're all contending for something. That means we're kind of all athletes by definition. Absolutely. Um, just as, as, as it's important for, you know, the NHL stars, the NFL players, it's, you know, they have to pr- build their confidence and protect it from life's inevitable imperfections and setbacks. You know, so do the rest of us, whether you're in sales, whether you're in R&D, whether you're in customer relations, whether you're in a management leadership position, whether you're in medicine, the arts, whatever. Think of yourself as an athlete contending for a prize and cultivate a sense of certainty about yourself that will help you enter into your daily meetings, your daily activities with a sense of certainty. How about it?
0: I mean, when I label myself an athlete, if I'm doing anything difficult and I'm like, I am an athlete and I say that in my mind – something triggers something changes something shifts you know i think there's a lot of power in what we how we label ourselves and so i agree i love how you broke down the word and i think that you know all of us labeling ourselves as as such like it just changes the way that we we show up i think labeling is is a really powerful tool a powerful tool and how you choose to like label yourself as what you are and what you believe that you are um, specifically for me just if I, if I'm in a workout you know and I'm pushing against the resistance let's say on a spin bike or I anything I'm doing in a workout I can push past further I can jump higher I can do more reps the second I say to myself in my mind I am an athlete I just it's something turns on and I go into overdrive. And when I label myself that way, because I'm like, I'm like, all of a sudden I step into this like elite version of me. And I'm like, yeah, you better watch out because I am like,
1: I'm in go mode right now. You know, Um, that's exactly the way it works for all of us. You have to be very careful about the language that you use. The last person in my office just today was using the phrase, I don't give up. And I said, let's look at that phrase carefully. I don't give up in order to make sense of that phrase, your brain has to access some understanding of giving up. I said, so let's change that language. How about I am relentless throughout the game? That's what you want. Be careful how you talk to yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to yourself about what you want as if you got it, and it's got to be about what you want as opposed to what you want to make sure that you don't do. Right. Because your brain's not very good at making that distinction. Right. Yeah, we have got to be choosy, choosy with our words.
0: So how does somebody like, you know, Tom Brady become the GOAT, the greatest of all time? How does that happen? Because there's like photos of him when he first started, you know, in the NFL. And he was not a, a huge prospect. He was not the number one guy. Uh, but he became... What he became is, is the story. But I think not too many people remember what he was anymore. Uh, but he was not – he didn't start out being the GOAT. You know, the, your book opens up talking about Eli Manning um, – and, you know, the story of an interview that where he was asked if he was top 10 or top five quarterbacks of all time. Um, and he responded saying, yes, I am in the top. I'm with Tom Brady. And I guess the media went into a whole frenzy. Like they went nuts over him comparing himself in that way um, and having the confidence to put himself in that category. Uh, so, you know, how, do, how does one become the GOAT if they're, they're not? They're simply just like everybody else. You know what I mean? It's like at a certain point, you go from being a guy to the guy or a girl to the the girl, you know, the woman. It, and,
1: it's, and it's perfectly okay for anyone to think of themselves as the guy, gal, whatever. The answer to your question, how did Tom Brady become the GOAT? Um, well... He did a whole lot of things and there were a whole lot of factors that contributed to that. But one huge factor is that Tom Brady had a more um, constructive, positive opinion of himself than a whole lot of other people had of him. The rumor goes that in his first training camp as a relatively low draft pick, he walked up to the owner of the boss of the, of the New England Patriots and said, hello, Mr. Kraft, I'm Tom Brady, and I am the best decision you ever made. Um, now, that's the story. I'd have to ask Mr. Brady or Mr. Kraft it's, if it actually happened that way. But I can actually see it happening that way, that does not, you know, from my point of view, strike me as something that nobody, you know, would ever, you know, not do. Tom Brady had a belief in himself that if he hung in and did the right things, his talent, his training was eventually going to blossom. He was going to get his chance. And once he got his chance, he wasn't going to let it go. And that's precisely what happened when he was given the chance to take over the starting spot. He had a previous ongoing belief that he could be really good, that he knew how to work this offense, that he could you know, be the inspirational leader that uh, an NFL quarterback has to be. So it all started with him on the inside rather than the world coming around him and saying, oh, Tom Brady, you are just the most wonderful quarterback that ever lived. Please come play for us. Um, that sounds kind of funny when I say it that way. But but it's almost the way a lot of people think. I will believe in myself once the world tells me it's okay to do that. I think you got to be a lot more proactive about it. And it's perfectly okay to do that. Having that sense of yourself on the inside does not make you a outspoken, conceited so-and-so. Now, if you talk about yourself a whole lot, well, then you might be perceived as a conceited so-and-so, but I'm talking about just how you think on the inside about yourself.
0: Yeah, you just got to be, you have to become an early adapter right? You're an early adapter is what you are, you know, because if if for anybody who doesn't know what that means, you know, they talk in terms of technology and, you know, new things that come on the market. There's certain people who kind of like get the brand new iPhone first and they get the, you know, all these technology, technological things first, you know, because they're the early adapters and they, they, they just trust in it and they just go and they jump, you know, so you have to be the early adapter just in yourself. And the one word that I would pluck from everything you just said is the word bloom. It's like, you got to believe that you have everything inside of you already to bloom and maybe it hasn't happened yet, but you are willing to believe so heavily in yourself that that day will arrive and you just keep showing up in the meantime and you just keep doing the work and you just continue to show up and you know without a shadow of doubt that you will bloom. You will get there.
1: Without that underlying sense that there is something in you worth blooming the blooming never happens. Or it only happens if one is extremely lucky and luck's not much of a strategy to uh, to live by.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. You can't just rely on luck. It's it's uh, the belief in yourself and, and knowing that you're gonna bloom um, and not being discouraged by the time that it takes to get there or comparing yourself too much along the way.
1: <laughs> very true, very true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know I've said it already once in this episode, but like that's where I get hung up the most. I am operating at my highest self when I do when I put my blinders on and focus on what feels good to me, what I like, what what I want to do, how I want to share things, and I do it my way instead of like somebody else.
1: Yeah, we are unfortunately socialized to you know. Read about the founding fathers and the founding mothers and the giants of any given field. Here at West Point, our history department likes to brag that much of the history that we teach in our history courses was made by people that we taught. And so there's this constant um, reference to Grant, Lee, MacArthur, Patton, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a healthy respect for any of the giants in your field, you've got to respect yourself just as much. And because we have been socialized to put certain people up on a pedestal, we sometimes don't give ourselves that same degree of regard. And so if we're going up, you know, a job interview or an athletic competition, it's very easy for us to feel less than sufficient to the moment. I've counseled a lot of people over a lot of years who know they're going to compete against somebody who's pretty darn good by imagining what that person must look like at six o'clock in the morning when he or she shuffles into the bathroom with their hair all tussled and they're blinking the stuff out of their eyes and they go up to the sink and they start brushing their teeth and the stuff starts dribbling down their chin. I don't think anybody's very impressive looking when they do that. All right. So let's let's keep your competitors, let's keep your components in that sort of um very human perspective, you know. Let's not put them up on a pedestal. Even if I ha- if if I have to go against, you know, whoever the Tom Brady is in my particular world, well, I'm not gonna put them up on a pedestal. I'm not gonna put that woman up on a pedestal. I'm gonna elevate myself to that level, or I'm gonna bring that person down to mine because. It does no sense to think that, oh, gosh, this job is so big or this test is so big or this competition is so big. I don't know if I'm up to it. I don't know if I'm worthy about it. Let's look at those competitors and those opponents in their most human and most beatable perspective. That's much better than the alternative that we've been schooled in all our lives. I
0: would agree. And I think oftentimes when we look at them from that perspective, I think it's pretty then easy to say, they're just like me. They're, they're really just like me. Different.
1: Right. They come from a big town just like me or a small town just like me. They have worked hard to get where they are. I've worked hard to get where they are. They're just like me. you know. Right. They like to compete and win just like me. So Let's, Bring it on. let's let's not elevate them in any way, shape or form.
0: Um, and just to touch on West Point, because I'm like a sport person that I'm obsessed with that and I don't know as much about the West Point world, but I think I've had a uh, Navy SEAL Pat Dossett on and I talked a lot on this podcast about Angela Duckworth and her grit training um, that I know is pretty prominent there at uh, West Point as well. You know, what does it take? to succeed in there in that atmosphere? And, you know, what's the biggest hurdle that you think a lot of these cadets face?
1: Well, it takes a lot to succeed at this institution. Uh, It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of, you know, let's face it, grit, passionate persistence uh, to get through the the academics, the military training, the regimented life. Um, It takes a lot of different qualities and one of the things that helps people get through it is a sense of purpose. Why are you here? What does this mean to you? Are you interested in something beyond yourself? And this is true for our cadets at West Point, and I think it's true for, you know, everybody at a mili- at a federal service academy, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, etc. You know, they all volunteered for this. They want to serve. Right. They're, he- they're here for something bigger than just a college degree, which they could get, you know, in a lot of other places. Right. So I think it, um, when you ask the question, well, what does it take to succeed at West Point? It takes a really dedicated vision to a, a term of service to the nation. And that's gotta be really big in your mind, and you gotta hang on to that. Because there are there are times in the 47-month cadet experience when you when everybody is tempted by what the heck am I doing here? Mm-hmm. This is really hard. What did I get into? And that's when you have to go back to that core. I am here because I believe in this institution, I believe in service, I'm going to give of myself to something bigger than myself. And when I do that, wow, do I grow as an individual. That's powerful stuff.
0: And it translates. It does. You know, and I think that as we were talking about, you know, off camera, you know, before we began the podcast about the universality um, of your book and how it really does translate over every realm, right? And I, I hear that and I, I see that in, in this conversation that we're having just now is, is you know, you might not be a cadet trying to succeed at West Point, but we all face those exact same hurdles, the same strifes. And anyone, no matter what you you do for a living or what it is you want to succeed at, if you can hold on to the purpose behind why you want to do what you want to do, you just show up differently. You just show up in a a way more powerful way. And I think you just, you just, you know, rate of motion probably speeds up because you, and it's not even purpose on purpose so much as it is, you're just living in purpose. Does that make sense?
1: That makes perfect sense. You know, when you think about the word purpose, it's one of the synonyms is intent. If you have a purpose, you have an intent. If you have an intent, then you can be intense. And you ask every coach what he or she wants from his or her players. I want some intensity. Well, you can't have intensity unless you have intent. And you can't have intent unless you have a purpose. So let's get, let's get clear on what the purpose is, ladies and gents. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, Dr. Nate, let
0: me ask you one final question. Um, what is the best piece of advice that you would give your younger self?
1: The best piece of advice that I could have given myself, say, I don't know, 40 years ago, is that there is a much bigger application for these little things that you seem to be learning limited to your own athletic and um, well, your own athletic development. I I wrote a senior thesis at uh, Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, entitled The Inner Game in Mountaineering, because I was a very serious climber at the time. The Inner Game in Mountaineering and Otherwise, and I sort of touched upon the almost universal application of some of these principles, but I didn't really believe it in my heart 40 years ago, uh, 45 years ago almost 50 years ago. Geez, I'm getting old. Um, but if I, could, if I could go back and tell myself something, if I could write that letter to myself, I would say, hey, buddy, you're really onto something. Go for it. Uh, that's what I would say. Great question, it. by the way. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. I love your answer. Um, I, I want to say thank you again so much for being on. It was uh, such an honor to have you. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Um, Victoria, thanks for the invite. I love your enthusiasm and my best wishes and best hopes for every one of your listeners.
0: That is a wrap, you guys. I think if I had to like pluck one like singular thing out of this episode, there was a sentence and I wrote it down because I like to take notes sometimes during the interviews to make sure that I don't miss anything. And the one thing I wrote down is what stories are you telling yourself about yourself? That was a mic drop moment for me. I don't know about you because I was like, you know, it's something that I talk about a lot with my life coaching clients. It's something that I talk about a lot with, you know, at SoulCycle. It's something I just talk about a lot in general because it's something that I truly like whole, whole, wholeheartedly like really just believe in at my actual core which is like you get to write your own story you get to decide what it is that you believe to be true about you and so to hear that reinforced by Dr Nate and to hear like have that conversation i'm just like yeah like these are the things i've been saying and talking about i think for years because it's it's true we paint pictures in our minds we write stories in our minds like why not choose to write a story that is one that you want to read One that you want to live because we get that option. We get that choice to write a story that feels good, to write a story that makes us go to a place where we believe in ourselves more, that makes us go to a place where we feel more confident in who we are, in what our abilities are, where we can go, what we can achieve, what we can succeed at, right? So next time you go to that negative downward spiral, you just think to yourself, okay, like this story... Is not working for me anymore. It's just simply not. And stop yourself dead in your tracks and say, okay, cool. So how are we going to rewrite it? What are we going to do differently? Like, how could it potentially in one way or another work out to the best case scenario instead of the worst case scenario? Right? Like you can choose that. How freaking crazy is that? And how easy and simple is that? Yet we make it so damn difficult. That is what I leave you with today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, you guys. Um, do me a favor. Please, please, please give this five stars and write a review. And if you are feeling extra, extra, extra nice today, um, I would love for you to share this episode with someone you love. Uh, text it to somebody or you know share it on your Instagram. Make sure you tag me at Victoria Brown and the pod handle at verybestself. Um, Yeah. And lastly, I would say pick up a copy of uh, The Confident Mind, which is his book. So that is what I will leave you with today. I hope you have a good one and I'll see you next time.